Uh, but we are just excited to be here. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. And, um, and for those of you who are new with us here this morning, we just wanted to say a couple of things. One, we're so glad that you guys are here. Uh, we just want, we hope that this is a place that you feel right at home. You feel welcome immediately uh, from the minute you walk in the door. And the second thing is, we always want you to know is, we want you to know that this is a safe place for you. This is a safe place for you to really explore what it looks like to follow God. Uh, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus and this is an opportunity for you just to dig deeper in that. Or maybe you're not sure about where you're at with God. This is a safe place for you to ask questions about that, about us, about our church, about God, about who he is, about who Jesus is. This is a safe place for you to do that. Um, I have a question for you this morning, though, to start off. Have you ever wondered about the power of a question? You guys know I ask a lot of questions when I get up here. I ask tons of questions, and we try to answer those. But have you ever wondered the true power of a question? For example, have you ever wondered if it makes any difference at all how you ask a question or what types of questions you ask as to what answer you might get? Have you ever wondered if that is true? If, if it matters, what kinds of questions you ask in life uh, as to where you go? For example, let's just take a, a lighter example. All right, let's say a child comes home from school or maybe you have a spouse or a friend that comes home after a long day at work and they walk in the door. Uh, and let's take the child as an example. They walk in and, and you just want to know and you want to talk to them and see how the day was and how school was. And so you ask, and you probably have done this, did you have a good day at school? And then right away, you're going to get probably a a one-word answer, and it's going to be something along the lines of yes, no, uh uh-huh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever had children, but this is what I hear most times after school. Did you have a good day at school? Uh Uh-huh. I just want my snack, Dad. I just want my snack. I'm tired. I'm done. And yes, it was a good day. Fine. Or, no, it wasn't, but I don't want to talk about it, right? And that's what you get. You get a one-word just, there it is. Did you have a good day at school? It it asks for a one-word answer, yes or no, and let's move on kind of a thing. But what if you were to change that question just a little bit? What if instead of saying, did you have a good day at school, what if you changed it and you said, how was your day at school? Now, I don't know about you, but if I say to my children, how was your day at school? They are not allowed to say, yes, it makes no sense. How was your day at school? Yes. It doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. No, we're interacting here. No, my eyes are right here. Yes, right there. Let's talk. How did things go? It changes the response that you're looking for, doesn't it? You're not looking for a yes or no. Now, this is what I generally get from my children anyway. Good. It's fine. You still get the one-word answer, but at least I can follow up and say, okay, let's talk about good, right? And let's see how this really went. The power of a question is that whatever you ask and however you ask it leads you to a certain type of answer or possible answer. And so today, why I'm bringing this up is because we are going to jump back into the Christmas story because we are in this Christmas series called Christmas Search and we're looking and we're focusing on specific words in the Christmas story, specific concepts 
in the Christmas story that I think we tend to gloss over. Uh, I know that I've done this where I read through the Christmas story and I focus on the angels or I focus on the shepherds or I focus on the manger, or the star in Bethlehem or uh, King Herod or any other kind of part of the story. But these are kind of obscure words that we don't necessarily or concepts that we don't necessarily think about in the Christmas story. And so that's what we're doing. And in this second Sunday of Advent, I want to look at the word questions. And specifically, we're not going to look at the word in the Christmas story, but we're going to look at all the questions that were asked in the Christmas story by people in the Christmas story. We're going to look at what questions they asked and why they asked them. And what's interesting is we're going to take a look at three different people in the Christmas story. One of them, actually, Laura mentioned just a little bit earlier, Zachariah. He's kind of close to the Christmas story. He's not technically in it but he's close but we're going to use him anyway all right but Zechariah and all these uh, these other two people we're going to look at it three different types of questions and the reason i want to highlight these three questions is because i think that these are three types of questions that we tend to ask in our life toward god i think that they're really important categories of questions that these three people demonstrate to us in the christmas story so i want to read them focus on them and see how they apply to whether or not we are asking these questions in our own lives. All right, so you ready to jump in? If you'd like to follow along, we will have it on the screen in a moment, but uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, we're going to bounce around a little bit because we're going to take a look at three different parts of the Christmas story today. The first part is about this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Let me give you a little background on them. They have been praying for decades to have a child. Okay, they've been praying for decades, literally their entire lives, to have a baby. And so that's where they're at. And Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're married, of course, and they're, they've been praying this way for a long, long time. We don't know exactly how many years, but it's been a long time. And so now they've grown older, and now they're actually past childbearing age, according to their just physical limitations. And so Zachariah now, where we pick up the story, Zachariah is serving in the temple. He's actually a priest in, the, in Israel. And so he's in the temple, and he only gets to do this maybe once in his lifetime, maybe twice. So this is a big deal. And Zechariah is in the temple by himself, burning the incense and doing all the stuff that they did in the temple back then. Okay? And, he, and all of a sudden, an angel's going to show up and give him a really important message. Okay? So that's where we're going to pick up the story. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, in the temple... An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. I mean, honestly, I would be too. You know, I'm just doing, having my own business and all of a sudden, boom, angel. Oh, that's normal. Not normal at all. And so I, my guess is he probably, by the way, angels probably get a really cool view because they probably see people do like the jump thing like that. And they're like, got him again. That's great. I don't know if angels are like that. I, just, I don't know. But, but man, that's, that's just the, that's the weirdness from me. That, you're getting it from when I read these things. Okay? So Zachariah's there, and he's shaken and overwhelmed with fear because the angel's there. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So, so the angel tells Zechariah, hey, you've been praying for a baby? Guess what? It's time. 
And, and, and the angel goes on and says, okay, you're going to name him John. But then he goes on, and I'm not going to read this whole part, but the angel goes on and says, Zachariah, listen, John is going to be amazing. He is going to be full of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be full of God. And, and guess what? He is going to get to prepare the entire world for Jesus, the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he says, he's going to do this. He's going to be this. He's going to be, he's going to be one of the most amazing people to ever walk the earth. And it's your son. And his name is John. And what we're going to find out later is this is John the Baptist. Okay? And so he's telling Zechariah that he's going to give birth. He and Elizabeth are going to give birth to John the Baptist. And so he's all excited about this. But the first thing, the problem with Zechariah is they've been praying about this for a long, long time. And they've heard nothing from God on this. And so Zechariah is a little skeptical. He's like, I'm not sure about this. And so the first thing out of Zechariah's mouth is a question for the angel. Let's go to verse 18. This is his question. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. Now, this doesn't give us the the kind of what he's really trying to say. What he's really trying to say is, we can't have kids anymore. You're a little late. That's what Zechariah is saying here. He's like, this is great, awesome news, but you missed the boat. <laughs> like 30 years ago would have been pretty good, but we can't do that now. I mean, it just doesn't work. I'm not sure if you know how these things work, Gabriel, but, but it's not going to happen. That's what he's saying with that question. He's like, uh, I don't know if you realize, but we've kind of grown up now. This isn't going to happen. And so he is asking a question. And what does this show us? This shows us the first category of questions that we tend to wrestle with in our life toward God. And what are the, what is that category of questions? They are questions of doubt. Questions of doubt. These are, these are questions of whether or not we are going to have faith at all. Right? This is, this is a question of whether or not we are going to place faith or, and we say the word faith, but what that means is, are we going to place our trust and everything, all of our eggs in the basket of God and of Jesus? This is a question. These are questions that really wrestle with, am I going to even believe this? These are questions of doubt. That's where Zechariah was. And is it ironic that he's a priest? I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a guy that, like, he serves God for his, for his life. That's what he does. And he's in here, and he is doubting what the angel is telling him, what Gabriel's telling him. Now, what I didn't tell you is, and we're not going to read this part, but Gabriel gets kind of upset. So if he was scared before when the angel showed up, my guess is it probably changed his demeanor again. Because Gabriel gets a little upset with him and says, Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I am here from God. And he kind of just lets him have it. And Zechariah, at this point, he kind of is like, okay, I crossed the line. I get it. You know? And eventually, of course, everything does happen, and they have John and all this kind of stuff. But they are questions of doubt. And the question becomes, sometimes we have questions of doubt in our lives, don't we? And it might be, maybe it's because... There are things that have happened that we just don't understand and we just don't get why it happened to us or why it happened to somebody else. And therefore, we doubt that God even exists because we're like, that wouldn't happen if God was there. Or maybe it's a question of, I need more information about God. Uh, Some of us in here are probably this way. And I'll be honest, questions of doubt because of lack of information tends to be a personal issue for me. Not in my faith anymore. Uh, I've kind of worked through that and dealt with that. 
but, but in other areas of life. I don't know about you, but, but I am a cautious person. Some of you who know me, you know this is true. I am not one of those that jumps and they're like, oh, and then I check my parachute, right? Uh, I am not one of those. I know some people like that. I have some people in my family like that. Crazy. You know, jump out of the plane like, oh, did we have a parachute? I don't know. I just jumped. It was cool. Whoa, look at that. Oh, I do have a parachute. That's good. <laughs> Pull the cord, right? And I mean, that's how they live their life. They're like, wow, it'll work out. And I'm exactly the opposite. I am like, okay. I need to make sure before I make this decision, I need to do some research. I need to look at this. I need to find this. And then when I get all the information, then I go, nope, I need to go back. I need to make sure. And then I go through the information again. And then maybe, maybe I can make the decision. Some of you in here relating to me, you're like, yeah, okay. Some of you are like, that's crazy. (laughs) Just jump. Right? Well, this is where this goes is sometimes our doubt doesn't come just because we don't believe uh, or, or because maybe that's part of it, but maybe it's not because of something that's happened, but maybe it's because we feel that we need more info. We need to learn more about God before I can make an informed decision. And understand, I am not saying that we should just jump out of a plane without a parachute. I'm not talking about we should just believe in God because that's what you should do. So get her done. That's not what I'm saying. An informed decision is important, but let's be honest here. Let's be very clear. If you never get past needing more information, then it is purely doubt. If you never get to the point where you've had enough information, because guess what? Faith is exactly that. It's trusting in something that you can't fully prove and figure out and learn up here. It just doesn't work. I know it drives me crazy too (laughs) sometimes. But that's what it is. And that's where Zachariah was out. Questions of doubt. Well, there's a second type of question. It's illustrated by a guy that we actually talked about last week in the Christmas story. And, uh, and this, is, this is King Herod. King Herod is the ruler of Israel during the time, during the birth of Jesus. And uh, as we know, we kind of talked about this last week, but I'll give you the quick synopsis. The wise men see a star in the sky that signifies Jesus being born. And so they travel from their distant home. We don't know exactly where that was, but it was a long ways away. And so they travel all the way to Israel and they want to see Jesus, but they don't know where he's at. And so they end up in front of King Herod and they say, hey, King Herod, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Herod takes an immediate interest because they just said king of the Jews, which is what he is. So right away, he's a little worried about this. He's like, who's this other king of the Jews? Because I thought I was. And so he takes a genuine interest. And so he's going to ask a question. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. We're just going to read the question. He called a meeting, King Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah? Where is Jesus supposed to be born? So he wants to know where Jesus is. Okay, and as we talked about last week, right after this, he actually calls a private meeting with the wise men. And he says, okay, I also want to know when you first saw the star. Why does he want to know that? Because he wants to know how old Jesus is. He needs to know who he's looking for. Why does he need to do that? The reason is because King Herod wants to kill Jesus. That's crazy to us. It seems nuts that I would even say that out loud. But that's what King Herod wants to do. He wants to kill Jesus. In fact, we know this is true Because uh, a little further on in Scripture, we find out the edict that he makes. He actually has all the two-year-olds, boys under two, killed in Bethlehem. Jesus escapes to Egypt before that happens because God warns them. 
but he has everybody killed under two years old who's a boy. Okay, so this is the extreme that, that King Herod goes to. So why does he ask these questions? The whole reason he asks these questions is he shows us the second category, the second type of questions that we tend to ask in our lives. These are questions of control. Questions of control. This one, in my opinion, is probably the harder one and the more dangerous one. Because this, this question, the questions of doubt, they, they, they try to answer the question, am I going to have faith in God at all? Am I going to believe in it even a little bit? But this is a very different type of question. This is not whether or not to have faith. This is whether or not I am going to give control of my life or where it's going to be. So in other words, the answer to these questions, or what the purpose of this question is, is where am I going to place my faith? If that makes sense. It is different than, am I going to have faith? It's where is my faith going to be placed? Okay? Make no mistake, King Herod, he wanted to control things, didn't he? King Herod wanted to control things. Think about it. Okay? Hundreds and hundreds of years before this, God wrote in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, that he's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Messiah. He's going to be the Savior of the entire world. God said this hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. So this is not like a new thing. This has already been written about. It's already been recorded. It's expected to happen. But King Herod, what King Herod is saying by asking these questions and wanting to get rid of Jesus, what King Herod is essentially saying is, I don't care what you said, God. This is my life, my plan. I'm going to do it my way. I don't care if he's going to be the savior of the world or the king of the Jews or whatever else. I'm taking him out. In other words, King Herod is saying, my life, my plan, get out of the way, God. That's what King Herod is saying. Now, I know that it doesn't read that way, but that's what King Herod is doing. He's asking the question because he wants to control how his life goes, and he does not want to surrender it to God's, especially when he thinks Jesus is a threat to him to change his life. I mean, this is hard stuff, isn't it? King Herod is asking questions of control, and so it becomes to us questions of control. The question is, who is in control of our life? Who are we going to allow to be in control of our life? Because here's the deal. If I were to ask, realistically, if I said, what's the honest answer that you would really like? Most of us, and I would be included in this, if we were to be honest, what we'd really prefer is that we were in control of our life. Isn't that true? Like, if you say you put a, a, a table of cookies on the table, I know which plate of cookies I want. Right? I know which one I want. I don't want those. I don't want those. Those are like cardboard. These, no, those aren't. The no-bakes, those are the ones I want. Chocolate no-bakes. Some of you are with me. Some of you are like, ew. Okay? But those are the ones I want. I want to control which cookie I pick because it's my life. So this is what I'm going to do. And instead, realistically, we don't want to actually give up control of our life and have God pick the cookie for us. He might pick the cardboard ones. I don't want that. Ah. And so subtly, we hold on to control of our life. Just like King Herod. Now, King Herod goes to a very sinister, nasty, evil level. And ours is much more subtle. We don't like, forget you, God. We don't say that out loud like King Herod does. But really, that's 
what we're doing if we are not submitting control. And so sometimes these questions of control are, are Jesus, is Jesus real? Do I really want to place control of my life in God's hands? Do I really want Jesus to direct everything that I do? Am I okay with God picking my career for me? Oh, man, that's going against everything in American ideals. Everything. Because we are like, find your thing, get the right college, make sure it's this one, because if it's not this one, then you won't get as good a job as this, and you're only going to make 20000 instead of $30,000 a year. Dear goodness, American dream's gone. Because I didn't make the right college. That's how we think, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I'm saying these things because I think these things for my children now. Oh, come on, Jackson, come on, Hannah. You've got to do this because if you don't, then it doesn't lead to this. And you don't understand this now, but this is, you've got to do this and, so you can succeed. And, but what I really need to make sure that I teach myself and teach my children is that you need to give up control because if you do that, the true control with Jesus will lead you exactly where you're supposed to go. In all honesty, that's the truth. And that's hard truth, but it's true. And this is what King Herod was wrestling with. So we have questions of doubt. This is whether or not we're going to have faith. And there are questions of control. Who is going to guide and direct our life more than anything else? Is it going to be us? Is it going to be God? And by the way, it might not be us or God. We might think, and by default, like for example, if you're an atheist, if there are atheists out there, are there people who don't believe in God at all? Make no mistake, they've put their faith in something. You know what their faith is in? They're hoping that God does not exist. That's the faith. They can't prove to me that God doesn't exist just as much as I can prove that God does exist. But, but the faith is in, I really hope that God doesn't exist. That's where my trust is. I'm, that's what I'm staking everything on. I'm going to trust that God doesn't exist. That's where it's going to be. So wherever it is, our faith, our control question is where is it going to be placed? Is it going to be placed in me? Is it going to be placed in God? Is it going to be placed in nothing? Where is it going to be placed? It's a question of control. This is where King Herod was at. Well, those are the first two categories. It's pretty obvious those are probably not the ones that we want to be hanging out in too long. The third type of question or category of question is the one where we really need to shoot for. And the third person exemplifies this category, this type of question. This person is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And uh, she is amazing in how she really exemplifies the questions, the types of questions that we need to ask in our own lives. Okay, so let's go back to this and and read where Mary's at. This is a longer passage of Scripture. We're going to get into this because there's a question in the middle, but we kind of need the context on either side. So Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's Zachariah and Elizabeth who have John the Baptist, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Then comes the question. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. 
The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her own age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So this question could seem similar to some of the others, but it's not. And the reason we know that is twofold. One, we know that from the angel's response. The angel did not get mad or upset or righteously angry at Mary. We also know that at the end of this, before the angel leaves, Mary responds and says, Absolutely, I am the Lord's servant. May it be exactly as you said. I'm here. Let's do this. That's what Mary says. She asked this, the third type of question, where, which is where we need to really try to get. I understand that all of us may not be there yet, and that's okay, but this is where we need to shoot for. This is where we need to try to be, is where Mary's at. She's asking the third type of question, which are questions of faithfulness. Questions of faithfulness. See, this is the reason why Mary asked this question. She did not ask it because she doubted everything was true. Mary did not ask this question because she was trying to control her own life. Mary asked this question because she really wanted to know, how is this going to go so that I make sure that I am faithful in what you're telling me? God, how, how am I going to accomplish this? Because I don't see how this is going to work. But, but if you say it is, then tell me how this is going to work so that I know and so that I can explain it to other people. Especially, by the way, to my fiancé, Joseph. He's going to want to know. This is kind of a big deal. This is, God, this is kind of a big conversation that we have to have. It's kind of serious. She wanted to clarify what was going to happen and how it was going to happen because she needed to know, not because she doubted, not because she wanted to control God, not because she wanted to control Jesus, but because she wanted to clarify, how can I be more faithful to what you're asking me to do? Do we see the big difference in these types of questions? Questions of clarification so that we can be more faithful is a huge deal. I wanted to mention something. This is just a side note. But God does a lot of things with a lot of people. And and let's be honest. He knew something about Mary that nobody else knew. God knew that Mary was going to answer the or ask the question this way, didn't he? God already knew that Mary was going to ask a question of faithfulness, not of doubt and not of control. Why is that important? Well, this is why it's important. Because we tend to think of this a little bit backwards. Let me tell you how this, this thinking gets twisted a little bit in our minds. Mary was not great in her faith. Mary was not great because she gave birth to Jesus. We tend to exalt her because she gave birth to Jesus. That is not what makes Mary great. God wanted Mary to give birth to Jesus because she was already great in her faith. Does that make sense? That is a huge flip-flop of 
She was great because she gave birth to Jesus. No, she was already great in her faith, which is why God says, I want you to give birth to Jesus. You see how subtle that is? But it's true. God already knew that Mary was not asking lots of questions of doubt. God knew that Mary was not asking lots of questions of control. She had already solidified those things. Those things were stone, done, and she was on to questions of faithfulness. God, how can I serve you more? How can I serve you better? How can I serve you more effectively? And so the question becomes, of course, for us out of this Christmas story, and I think that these are probably the biggest and hardest and best questions that we can ask, especially at Christmas. What question are you asking? What types of categories or what categories of questions are you currently asking in your life? Are you asking questions of doubt? And some of us in here are. Some of us are asking questions of doubt. Maybe we're not sure of whether or not we want to have faith in anything other than ourselves. Maybe we're just not sure if, if we can have faith at all. Maybe it's questions of, of doubt. Maybe, maybe our questions are questions of control. Maybe we, we've heard about God for a long time. We've known about this Jesus for a long time. We've heard people talk about the Bible. We, we believe that. We think that there's something there. But we're not sure if we want to surrender control of our life to Jesus. Maybe it's because we're not sure if, if it's going to be good. So let, let's, let's speak plainly here for a second. Some of us are worried that if we give our life to Jesus, he's going to call us to somewhere on the world map that we've never heard of. Some of us are worried about that. Some of us might be worried, it's a question of control, because you're worried about having to give up a way of life, a habit that you do, or, or a way that you live, or, or maybe you've amassed a large amount of money, or whatever the case is, whatever that habit is, whatever that thing is, or those things are, and you're not sure you want to give that up, and you're pretty sure if you surrender to Jesus, you're going to have to give that up, and you don't want to give that up. And so it's a control issue. Is that where you're at? Is it... More of, no, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, or I think that they're real, I think that they could be real, but, but my question is, I don't know if I believe that it's going to be a good thing for me to let him control my life. I'm not sure if reading the Bible and living according to what this says is really going to be the best life. And you guys have heard, our motto here is live full of life at Northridge. Live full of life. What do we mean by that? What we mean is we believe the fullest life, the best life possible is with Jesus and being surrendered to him. Truly, we believe that that's the only best life possible is when we are surrendered fully to Jesus and that he's guiding and directing. He's picking out our cookies for us. All right? I must just be hungry, right? Because I keep coming back to cookies probably because our open house. We're going to have a lot of cookies tonight in our open house. But that becomes the question. Who is in control? So maybe it's a question of doubt. Maybe it's a question of control. Maybe you are in the place where you're like, nope, those are done. Both of those categories are past. I've, I've already figured that out. I'm past that. And you're on to questions of faithfulness. And your questions right now are, God, how can I serve you more 
fully or faithfully or successfully or effectively? How can you use me? And let's, I, I, want, I want you to hear some truth this morning. The Bible is very clear. God is very clear that he has given you gifts and abilities and values in your life. You are good at certain things and you're not good at other things for a very specific reason. Because God wants you to do these things. There are certain careers. There are certain ways that you can help people. There are certain things that can happen. There are certain ways that you can believe and think about that God has given to you. And guess what? It's not for you to have the American dream. I'm not saying that's bad. I can't feel like I'm harping on the American dream. I'm not saying the American dream is bad. That can be a part of the deal. But the bigger part of the deal is that you are serving and using everything that God has put in you when you were born to use for his glory and worship of him and to help other people in his love and his name. And so it becomes some of you are in those questions of faithfulness area, and that's good. And the question is just which new questions of faithfulness do I ask? How much deeper can I go? Because God is always asking us to move. And so the question out of this Christmas story this morning, a difficult one, what questions are you genuinely, truly asking of God? What questions are you really asking? And why are you asking them? Let's pray. God, pray that you would Help us just to be honest with you and what questions we're asking. No matter where people are at today, I pray that you would, if it's questions of doubt, I pray that you would help them to move out of that. Whatever that is, whatever it's going to take for them to move out of that, I pray that you just help them to see that and that they would go through that door and through whatever that path is. I pray that you would help them to do that. God, if it's questions of control, if it's a, if it's a control center issue and, and they have firm control just with their life, God, I pray that they would just be able to release that. It's hard to do, God. You know that. Jesus, I pray that you would help them to release control to you. And God, for those of us in the areas of questions of faithfulness, whoever that is in here, we're all in different places. God, I pray that you would help us to continue to ask questions of faithfulness. How can I better serve Jesus with my life? Help us to look for those answers. Help us to lean on those answers. God, help us to ask the right questions, but then help us to be really honest with the answers that we have. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.